how we do no uh no significance to 6 30 uh for some reason in my mind i think it's like one and a half or one and a quarter from back in my skate punk days. Okay. You know, like you get like a 720. That's where you do like a jump and you do two full rotations. Right. But this is kind of like a rotation of three quarters. Something like that. I don't know. Right. My uh, Bozintas aren't good on this. Yeah. I need my protractor, Joe. I wish we, uh, I, I wish I made more significance on episode 605 because 635 is not the same. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, remember TBS used to start all those shows at 5 after? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Crazy yeah. Ted Turner, yeah. yeah. And I know there was some sort of logic to it. It was more or less like, I, th- I think the logic was, be- with their shows starting five minutes after the hour, if you watch your favorite show or your favorite show's in rerun or you're watching something you don't like it, Usually within the first five minutes, you're flipping the station, and you come to his station, and his shows are just starting. You're not picking them up in the middle of the whatever, right? Right. You're like, oh, I won't be lost here because the credits just ended. Yeah. Remember when shows had theme songs, Joe? Or uh, uh, actually, yes, theme songs with lyrics. That's what it Remember when TV shows had end credits? Yes, I do. Yeah. All crazy times. It's a different well, world, Joe. We'll, we'll get into it, but the shows that we watch, especially the ones that are on streaming, uh, seem to have a 7 to 10 minute end credit sequence. Well, that's because you need all the countries uh, to do their who did the voices, Joe. I guess. Right. But, uh, speaking, so, oh yeah, go ahead. Let's say speaking of shows at the end, let's talk about what's before that. Um, in news, foil variant covers that aren't worth the price that's printed on them, especially if the price isn't printed on them, Joe. Um, a show that is beloved to us gets canceled, but when one show dies, another gets a bigger scarf budget. We'll talk about mm. that. There's no Rob watch. Uh, conventions, what we read last week, which was both Human Target 8 and Vanish 2. What we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues. The battle for second place, a.k.a. Todd and Joe go rogue. Um, and finally, at the end of the show, spoiler-filled talk of Andor and Stargirl. Uh, that sounds like everything. Right. I don't think I missed anything. So I don't think I have an art attack this week. So You didn't spend that much money when you were in New York, huh? No, I just, but I spent a lot. There's stuff still floating out there, Joe. So gotcha. KM owes me some stuff. Oh, that's, I'm, I, luckily I was sitting down for that, you know? Right, 14 to 15 uh, months, he told me. <laughs> I was going to say, they're on the boat from the factory. They'll be here any week now. Right, right. Uh, so, mention the news, you mentioned the foil covers. Uh, I know DC for this month, in conjunction with the death of Superman 30th anniversary, they're doing like a whole 90s month, right? Mm-hmm. A uh, bunch of books are getting 90s variant covers. I saw one that I had to send off and enable um, a person and give them the date that it comes out so they can continue being the Michael Jordan of the worst Batman ever. Oh, true. Yes. Um, but they're also doing like full foil uh, embossed variant covers for certain books as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it's, you know, they're big ticket books, your Batmans, your Jokers, your stuff like that, uh, which are already $6 books to begin with. 
But the problem is the books themselves don't have a price printed on them. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the Lunar site, uh, it says, please inquire. And apparently a lot of retailers forgot to inquire and were selling these books that they were charged a lot more for uh, the normal uh, $6 price, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. I you know This is when you focus too closely on let's homage the 90s and have fun with these gimmick covers that you end up losing money on them because you forgot to print the most important thing on a comic book. It's not the story. It's not the art. It's not the staples themselves, Todd. It's the price of the comic book. Yeah, but that's that's an unfair thing. I know, like we're we're joking around. Yes, but like I have my my one in twenty five variants that I buy online of Human Target. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And uh, you know what? Now I'm looking at it. They don't have they don't have a price on the cover, do they? Maybe they do on the back. I'm holding it. I had have to open it. But uh, you know, like you're supposed to know what your variants are and what your that's what a good retailer does. That's all I'm gonna say. You know, uh-huh. you know which ones you're one in twenty fives. You know how much you spent. They send you your invoice. You know what I mean? It's not, I know they said this one was a little uh, was a little iffy and stuff like that with the way the invoice was laid out. But I don't know. I just I I kind of lay it at the uh, the retailer's feet. Know what your know what your product is worth. That's what I say. It it has been a little while since I've purchased an incentive variant. You know, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, like a one in twenty five or a one in whatever. But I'm almost certain that they just have, like, whatever the normal cover price is on them. Well, I'm looking at my uh, Human Target 8s right now. And Mm -hmm. I have my cover A, which is, you know, the uh, Greg Smallwood cover. And on the back it says $4.99. And on the back of the 1 in 25, there is no price. And it says 1 in 25 variant by cover by uh, Ryan Sook. So I'm wondering what these foil variants have written, if they have no price at all. You know what I mean? I think that's what it is, that they have no price at all. Right. So then you look. You make sure. (laughs) Now, I will say this, just, you know, as you mentioned that, um, I just grabbed a random book here, okay? Mm -hmm. Just something that was within uh, arm's length, right? Right. And it's an image book. And it's the normal cover. It's cover A, and it does say on the front cover, you know, that it's three ninety nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if other retailers, like other retailers, other publishers, like if Image or Marvel or whomever, they have the different incentive variants. I don't think Image does too too many of them. They do, but not too too many. I wonder if theirs are different than the DC ones. Um, obviously, DC having incentive variants without an actual price printed on them could be an issue for a less attentive retailer. And something that has nothing to do with variants but the price tag on comics, I think with all the fun that people have with their covers and whatnot, the thing that I hate the most is, like, especially when I get my weekly books – I know what they, they are because I kind of had to come around to a spreadsheet, but I'm not that crazy. I just have written down what I have. And when I do my my, my weekly books, I go to the website and they say, all right, this one's $3.99, that one's $4.99. Um, but when I get to the store, I have them. And I will always take whatever my books are and put them in the order of prices. So they're Oh, okay. So when I take them up to the retailer or whoever's ringing me out, it's like all my 3 dollars are in the front. 
All my 499s are behind it. If I have any 599s, they're behind that. So when they do it, they can just go one 399, two 399. Like how many 399s? Then in the register, they don't have to ring them up individually. They just go four at 399. You know what I mean? Three at 499. And that, that makes it that makes it easier. But retailers or uh, comic companies need to do two things. And that is to have their prices clearly marked in one spot on the comic, not all over the place. Like I'm looking at Vanish this month and uh, the price is on the back. It's not on the front. On certain comics, they have it up in this corner. They have it up in that corner. Two things every comic company should do. Your, your, your uh, title font should be easy to read and uh, not like, you know, like weird colors. So it's hard to read. Real easy to read font and the price right on the front where you could see it so you don't have to search for it. Those are two of Todd's pet peeves when it comes to comics. So, and uh, again, not to um, decry or to poo-poo you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel and DC, for the most part, as I have a giant stack of books here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the normal covers, you know, if the... Um, for the most part, DC is going to have their... Uh, UPC code vertically, okay? Right. For the most part. And the 399 is right at the top of the, the UPC code, okay? Mm-hmm. In the rare instance where um, the UPC code is horizontal, the, U- the, the, the price is, like, if you're reading left to right, like a normal person does, the 399 is directly there, okay? Right. Marvel, same way. Um, as opposed, like, DC's is, like, the first thing that you see. Whereas if the UPC code is horizontal on a Marvel book, the price is in the middle of the UPC code. Mm-hmm. It's like it shows the rating of the book and then the price. Um, and even with the uh, books being vertical, it's the rating and the price. Right. But it's well, in more or less the same spot. Image, good luck. Yeah. Yep. Good luck finding the price. Well, yeah, like my my other thing though is too like with the black la- label human target one, the yeah. price is on the back. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I was going to say the the black label books for the most part all the books are on the back. All the prices are on the back. And then you get into the independent books, like not image, I mean the smaller companies, it's the wild wild west of where yes. they put their price. And they're usually the one with the terrible layout of the uh the cover like title and image and all that stuff. So, but no. Anyway, yeah, that's it. I, I'm I'm very much for consistency as well, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to these sort of things. Uh, anyway, consistency. We mentioned, you know, we don't typically do a ton of TV or movie talk and stuff like this, but if it's stuff that we're watching or if it's stuff that we're into, uh, it always comes up, and it's something that we kind of knew in the back of our heads was going to happen, and unfortunately, uh, this season uh, wrapping up in four weeks is the finale for Stargirl. Yep. Uh, They got three seasons. They're getting to end the series. It's not going to end on a cliffhanger at the very least, you know? Um, And this goes with the CW going away from uh, the number of scripted original programmings. Um, you know, with the takeover that happened last month, I think this was something that they knew. I think there was an interview that, uh, Jeff Johns put out on Monday kind of discussing things. Um, you know, just saying that they were happy that they were able to build 
the community that they did, that they were able to get the series out to three seasons, and the fact that they were able to kind of wrap things up, um, you know, give it a definitive ending. Um, it's not the most optimal thing. Uh, one can only hope that this is a show that ends up, if it's not already, on uh, HBO Max, and then maybe gets a second life thereafter, just because of the popularity of the show. Uh, but I'm going to miss this show. I really enjoyed it. You know, we, we kind of give it a hard time sometimes. Um, but I would say that we're like, I eh, would like 85% positive. Uh, yeah, yeah. On Stargirl. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm sad to see it go. I'm kind of glad that they had enough notice that it's not going to end on a super like cliffhanger. I do think as we get into this week's episode, you know, if they end up talking about other characters, like the formula of the show went like through the middle of the season, they would bring in side characters and then like Jade, Jade wanting to find her brother. And then like when, you know, if she finds her brother who they're going to go look for, and they were going to slowly build the ensemble. And each season we would have that like a couple episodes where we would introduce new characters and we could have got a whole like JSA kind of thing. But uh, you know, if, if they can end it well, I'm happy with that. And I'm of a mind. I used to be like the end is the end. Uh, but since so many things have come back, I will never say never anymore and i would like to see it end up on hbo max i don't know if it will but i'm with you i'm like i have my fingers crossed let's see more star girl and if you can please uh dc get me that uh star girl staff prop if you can i need that for my wall need the star girl staff need the jay garrick helmets yes yes uh, captain cold gun from the comic yes and the glasses so i can wear my parka and run around outside in the winter I agree. Didn't uh, at one point in time, maybe about 10 years, 11 years ago or so, uh, DC Direct make like what would be full size replicas of the Green Lantern lanterns? Yes, um, I had the Green Lantern one. I had I still have the Golden Age one. They did all the different. I don't know if they ever finished them, though. That's kind of why I never really bought stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That they did, like, a red lantern, a yellow lantern, a blue lantern, a black. But I don't know if they got all the colors. And then when they did, they kind of stopped it halfway in the middle. And then they got, like, a, the cheaper run of it. Because I used to buy props like they were going out of style. And I was like, oh, okay, I got some of these props. And I was like, oh, they're going to start them up again. Maybe I'll go back and get the ones that I missed and... And and do it. And I was like, oh, they're so flimsy now. They used to be like ceramic, and then they were like cheap, like metal and plastic. I was like, no, no, no. Like the old ones were great, but uh, yeah, I do miss the days of DC props, which will never happen again. Um, I was gonna say, I'm looking up. Uh, there is a. I was gonna say because I'm like, oh, they must add a Yellow Lantern one. But see, where my mind is going is, um, didn't. I know the Yellow Lantern one didn't, but weren't there Green Lantern ones that, like, lit up and they came with, like, a special ring that when you put it to it, it did, like, a thing? They all had, they all lit up. Okay. They were all battery operated and the ring, okay, and then in the, where the lantern opening, where the light would come out, you could click it on to, like, be on 24-7. Then you could obviously turn it off because and it was battery operated and eat through the batteries. Then you could do a, a mid-setting where you would touch the ring to the opening where the light was and they had like a little shape of the ring that you, that you had on your finger 
um, in there. It was like, so that's where you're supposed to put it. And then there was a magnet in there and it would click, it would hit a switch and it would turn the lantern on. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. So, um, okay. So you're going to correct me on this. The regular sized, um, yellow lantern one mm-hmm. did not light up. Okay. It, maybe it, it didn't. I never had well, that one. Okay, right. So that's where I was going with because if there was – the reason I say this was I'm like there's no way that they made a Yellow Lantern one that lit up that was like regulation size because I would have had it, right? Right. Um, the Yellow one was just like a piece of plastic, and I think the Yellow Lantern one was when they kind of got to the junky end of things. Right. Now there's a one-fourth scale Yellow Lantern one. Yep, they did a bunch of those, which I would never buy. Those ones light up. And it, but I know for sure there was at least two or three different Green Lantern ones that lit up. Right. Anywho, I only wish they made a Yellow Lantern one that lit up. Right, because you would have bought it. Like a full-sized one, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, DC needs to get back on making these props, making these replicas, you know, Legends of Tomorrow styled wigs and that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, but, you know, and I say this about Stargirl. I think you're still watching Flash. Yes. Final season starts in a, uh, sometime. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. And I'm like, and it's only 10 or 12 episodes. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch. I'm, I'm, I went this far, you know. Yeah, because I know I gave up on that a little while back, but that's getting its wrap up. But they're getting to, like, wrap things up, you know? Yes. So I'm glad that they are getting to have closure on these shows. And that's the one thing that I like um, about that they were given enough notice that can get the closure. I don't think we'll see Stargirl again, like the show, but I hope these characters pop up in something down the line, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's it there. Um, and then there was one other TV story that you wanted to mention. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's more of a follow up on something from last week, which is we discussed that, uh, Disney plus would be airing, uh, as, as of the 60th anniversary next year would be the site that is going to host, uh, the new episodes of Dr. Who that's where you'd watch them in America. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. Um, I wasn't sure how it all works. Um, But more information has come out that not only is Disney Plus going to be the home for streaming the new episodes of Doctor Who, but they are, you know, in lockstep with Disney. And Disney, it seems like, is going to be giving Doctor Who the budget. uh, It's going to get, like, Marvel TV slash Star Wars uh, TV budgets. That's the rumor. Maybe less. We'll see. But uh, if Disney's like got the deep pockets, I find that fascinating because in my history of watching Doctor Who, that was one of the charms of Doctor Who was the low budget in the in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and stuff like that. Then when Doctor Who came back, you know, in the in the 2000s, it had a little bigger of a budget, but it was still like lower. But the stories were better. But if Disney can give it the what for, like with money and kind of give it the Iggy. I'm tr- I'm generally intrigued what could happen. And then on top of that, like the more news came out that they're like, all right, so you think oh, they don't own any of the Doctor Who rights. They're just, you know, distributing over here and they're helping out. Um, but like BBC retains all the rights to Doctor Who. Disney owns none of them. Um, they have no rights to do like, okay, of the any of the characters that we help create 
We get to do spinoffs. If you want to do spinoffs, we could talk about it. Um, and they get complete veto power if they don't like, because uh, uh, Disney's like, oh, we'll give you, we'll give you ideas. We'll let our fungineers end up helping you and stuff like that. But if they go away, where it's like, oh, well, we're gonna make Doctor Who American. He's gonna have an American accent, and he's gonna do this, and he's gonna do that, and like completely away from the character. BBC has the right to go. No, no, we'll th- I think we're going to do it our way, which shocks me with the mouse, Joe. It absolutely shocks me that they give up complete control on that. Is it that Doctor Who is such a big thing and obviously they don't outright own it that they kind of have to play ball until they do own it? Yeah, but why Why do they? And I don't, I, yes, but why? Well, that is until they do own it. But I don't think BBC will ever sell. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Because... That's kind of like their 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 money maker. Like that's one of the shows that they always said. Like the reason it's not on all the time, which now that Disney has it, there might be a, a season every year. The reason that it wasn't on every year is because BBC is kind of like uh, public, you know, funded. I guess they got you got it from TV licenses. Like if you owned a TV, you had to pay money like ten dollars a year, twenty dollars a year, or whatever. To, to own a TV and that went towards funding BBC and then Doctor Who was popular and they would sell the merchandise and the merchandise would fund the BBC because they really don't run commercials on it except for their own stuff then it would be like alright we made all this money off of Doctor Who should we make more no- more Doctor Who well we'll make it in two years we'll use some of the money to do Shakespeare and like whatever like theater on TV they would spread the money around so, like, Doctor Who would not be on all the time. And I'm like, well, now you're going to have Doctor Who on all the time. If you can make it, if you can make Doctor Who, like, hit the stratosphere again, BBC is going to make all that money in merchandise because I, I can't see Disney getting that merchandise money and they don't need it. I just don't know why Disney would get in bed with it because they don't need it. BBC needs Disney. But maybe the long game is to buy it eventually. Right, so that was going to be my my half joke, half serious uh, remark. There is, as I mentioned, uh, Disney does not own uh, Doctor Who yet, right? Right, right. But one can only think that maybe they're like, oh, they're trying to butter them up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. To maybe get a little bit more creative control. It's like, okay, you guys do have final say in everything, but you know, we're gonna play ball with you, right? And then eventually when they start vetoing stuff and whatever, Disney's just going to say, you know what? We're just going to buy the BBC. Well, maybe that could happen. I don't know how that like, would work. I buy Doctor Who, the, the milk, <laughs> right? Well, we could buy the you cow. Buy the BBC, which is the cow that makes the Doctor Who, right? Right. So, you know what? We know an expert that could explain to us how the BBC works. So, what we do? Well, I'll ask them. You can ask them tomorrow when you read your books. But uh, oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I I want to see where this all goes, and I'm and I'm looking forward to Doctor Who with a huge budget. Man, it's going to change things. It's a game changer. I don't like how, it. How long can the scarf get, Joe? <sighs> Not long enough, if you ask me. Long enough to hang themselves. Oh Joe. my goodness. Come on now. Right. Um, but no, I think some of the... I, one can only hope that they use this budget to do cheap on a budget, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, just to do more cheap things. Right. Do a thousand cheap things instead of one cheap thing. Yeah. Okay. I just imagine the amount of tinfoil monsters now, Joe, and all right. the stone quarries they can go go oh, to like shoot goodness. at. No green screens. Let's go on actual locations, you know? Yeah, like other planets. Right. All right. So, again, the first time in a long time, know the Rob Watch. Uh, he's been, you know, keeping a low profile. Hmm. Maybe actually working. Who knows? He's really keeping his head down, Joe. <laughs> yes. Very close. So no one can see what he's doing. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, you can find out what we're all doing over at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live, definitely check them out there. And anytime any of the folks from the soon to be named network go on other shows, you could find out about that there as well. As long as they give me the heads up about that, I can't keep track of what everybody's up to, you know? Uh, that's shows such as this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Wings on Wings, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, Porch Talk, and I think that's everything, right? I think so. Yeah. I do it from memory, you know? It's, the memory ain't what it used to be. Uh, but you can find out uh, what my memory can't over at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. You could also check out our friends who are up to stuff uh, at their individual places online, um, such as Mike Sterling's Progressive Ruin blog, a uh, 30 plus year retailer uh, on the West Coast. Uh, our friend Kevin over at MassLibrary.com, his reviews of some of the more indie stuff that may filter through the cracks of what we discuss here on the show. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com uh, with all those sci-fi, fantasy, wrestling, uh, resin, and glow-in-the-dark figures that he does. Uh, Jason Sandberg, Chris Runtz, Battle Monsters, and Jupiter, not in that order, but listeners of the show that put out self-published books. Uh, you can purchase them directly from them at the links in the show notes. And Chris also has a comic book podcast as well, Fortress of Comics News, that you could check out there. You could check out our local comic book store if you do not have a good store in your area or a store, period. In your area, let our store be your store. Comics on the Green, their social media is linked up here. Uh, go sign up for their mail order subscription service. Get stuff sent to you weekly bi-weekly, monthly, and if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch from our good friend Becky. Her social media is linked up. You could see all the process and prints and everything else that she's up to there. Yep. And adding it back in, because it was supposed to start this section, conventions this weekend, uh, the big one, I would say, is the Rhode Island Comic Con. Right. Uh, Somewhere in Rhode Island. Rhode Island's small enough of a state. If you drive around, you'll get there eventually, right? Yep. You just start at one side and go small circles, you know, into a small circle. You'll find it eventually. Right. Um, it is in Providence, where I think that's the only place where things happen in uh, Rhode Island. Right. Uh, but it is a, you know, I uh, got some names from the comic book world there. Uh, Bart Sears, David Finch, Pat Broderick, amongst others. Right. Uh, media guests, uh, there appears to be some sort of MASH reunion going on there. Most notably, Jamie Farr is going to be there. 
Ooh, your favorite MASH actor. Right. I, the, uh, as far as I know, the only MASH actor. As far as you know? Yes, as far as I know. <laughs> that is that the name of Jamie Farr's book? I think so. Does Jamie Farr have a book that he wrote, he like a memoir? A right. He should have a book. I uh, know when he was like, you know, they have those TV, like me TV and other networks where they just run old shows because they have the rights to them. When yeah. They would do the mash, uh, like uh, marathons and it was all Jamie Farr episodes. They still have him come narrate them. And it was mash the best by far. Uh, and I, was I like, like that. That's fantastic. Uh, it does not appear as though he has a book entitled that. He should, though. He certainly should. Um, but there are people from the world of sports and entertainment that are going to be there this weekend as well. Oh, Patui. Uh, Mr. Hitman's going to be there. Hey, I know him. Oh, everybody knows Mr. Hitman. Uh, Billy Gunn is going to be there. Oh, he's a certain kind of man. Uh, he certainly is, but he's more... Well, again, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of condition that Billy Gunn is in. Um... As uh, as we record this Wednesday, his birthday celebration on TV, mm-hmm. and he suffered an accident, uh, an incident on Friday's TV, where he may never be able to scissor again. Oh, no. Um, but almost as interestingly as Mr. Hitman and uh, Mr. A Double Crooked Letter <laughs> is uh, MJF is going to be there as well. Uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Okay. Uh, some would say he's the best bad guy in all of professional wrestling. And outside of it, too. But other people would say that he's currently in the midst of becoming a babyface. Oh, okay. And um, part of his character, especially at signings, when he was a super-duper heel was being a super-duper jerk to fans. Oh, I won't use the pen you brought to sign that. No, 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 no. Like, insulting fans in their face. Um, maybe crossing lines at times, right? To keep oh. the persona up, you know? I get so- Sometimes you have to do that. Is this the guy who's the Joker of the wrestling world? <sighs> There's like 50 Jokers in <laughs> wrestling, Todd. You really need to be more specific. As you always tell me, that casts a wide net, Todd. Ugh. Jokers in professional wrestling, Todd. <laughs> Is he MMA influenced as well? <laughs> oh, boy, no. What no. about uh, two guys who are losing their hair? Now, see, I will say this. Um, he does wear a scarf. That's part of his uh, gimmick. Oh, good for him. Right. That's so, get him uh, over. Yeah, hey, listen. Uh, if you are attending the Rhode Island uh, Comic-Con this weekend... I expect an on-the-floor report of how nice MJF was to everyone. Right. MJF, are you a tweener right now? Bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah, when I saw his name on the guest list, I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the links to that will be in the show notes with all the other stuff that I mentioned before, too. Uh, so, hey, Todd, let's get into what we read from comics this past week, huh? Right. I'm going to start with the book uh, we were both looking forward to most, which was Human Target number eight, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. Um, 
Basically, uh, the story is the gist of it is Rocket Red, a Dimitri uh, Pushkin, shows up at the hotel that the human target and Ice are at, and he ends up uh, uh, she he ends up you know attacking them you know uh, tranquilizing Ice and basically he's going to have a conversation with Chance about where Guy Gardner is. He's like basically Guy has disappeared. Um, I know all this stuff about him. We're good, good friends. Uh, he, I have not heard from him, which is not out of the ordinary. He tends to disappear. But I have noticed that I use like stuff, uh, the sensors that I have, and he hasn't left the planet, and he's not still on it. So something has happened, and he proceeds to uh, interrogate him as my mind as a Russian would. And it goes pretty badly for chance for most of it. And for a man who is dying in uh, it's like, you know, in a short amount of time, um, him blacking out through most of this is his biggest, you know, fear. He's like, I only have a little bit of time and I keep, you know, passing out, getting knocked out or being tranquilized. And this is wasting a whole day. And basically it's the plan that certain people have, if, uh, you know, to, to cover up maybe things that have happened to Guy. Um, and we go there. It's a very, it's not a very deep book other than the fact of uh, the human target, like getting into uh, Dimitri's mind and the whole like Russian kind of like thought process, like in wars and stuff like that. And he's like, I know how to deal with this. Um, and it was interesting to see uh, Dimitri kind of be brutal. He's not exactly the Dimitri I remember from the comic until he kind of is when he gets his answer. Um, but this is the one who's like trying to find his friend who he thinks has either been, you know, hurt or killed or whatever. So he ain't playing by the rules, if you will. Um, but once again, Greg Smallwood's art is absolutely gorgeous. Any shots of the human target and ice, you know, being together. It's what I aspire to have in my life. All those shots, every one of them. I'm, I'm just, taken back by the beauty of like them just laying together but uh all in all like more of a down issue other than the revelation of how they're getting around certain things which is very very important so this may be a i, don't, I hate to say hot take but controversial take right. um this was maybe my favorite issue of the series to date really yes uh, only because um you know we you know, have an affinity for these characters from the JLI. Um, obviously, you more, more so than me. It's not a contest to see who loves them more. But again, we have a, a similar affinity for these characters, right? And I'd win, but go ahead. All right. And again, it's not a contest, but <laughs> I would. I admit you would win. So where I'm coming from this with is, uh, of our main characters, you know, that kind of appear in more than, like, let's say a handful of issues one of the ones that were less fleshed out, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, so he was a little bit more fun-loving. He was part of the Rocket Reds. He was part of a group of these people. Um, he ends up joining the JLI, and, you know, he's got a family, like, you know, any good Russian person does, you know? Right. And, and he's doing this for the betterment of them, whether it be the JLI or working for the government or whatever it is. It's for his family. But there's a lot to play with. There's a lot of holes in that story. And I don't think anyone really ever has delved into a lot of those holes that could be in his story. 
so the fact that um, Tom King decided to spend this issue of Human Target adding so much to the character of Dimitri the Rocket Red, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I want more Rocket Red. I want more of this Rocket Red. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, you know, I've read a lot because he was in JLE for a long, long sure. time. And they did flesh him out. Um, basically, he was like when he showed up, he was a spy for the Russians. A lot of people forget this. In Just the International, Captain Adam worked for the American government and uh, Dimitri worked for the Russian government. And when they showed up, Batman's like, I know you're reporting back and I know you're reporting back. And they're like, yeah, we are. We kind of have to, to make this work. And they all became friends and he had his family, but it was a different time. It was the eighties slash nineties. So Dimitri loved Beatles records and buying blue jeans. Like, you know, all the cliches that you saw in a Smirnoff, like stand up routine. Um, so this makes him a little tougher. And then later in like Jeff John's run of booster gold, but it was more, uh, Dan Jurgens. like they ended up having to time move it. So it wasn't in the eighties. He was the one who invented the rocket red armor. So they did a nice job to me of blending what they could of this might all be new to you, but they blended a lot of other stories as far as I'm concerned, but it works. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I will say it's the most straightforward human target issue there's not a lot of flashbacks and like subterfuge it's just he's like a russian he like the russian thought process he's just a hammer and you're a nail that's how all this works and you know and obviously like that fleshing out of this character who you know obviously as you're mentioning had some stuff but not really anything that you could really sink your teeth into fair enough i'm just like whether like he invented the rocket red armor okay so he's like russian iron man great and, you know, he's a Russian stereotype, sure. But the fact that he has this lingering inside of him, I think, adds a lot to his character. And the stuff that you mentioned about every time that Dimitri puts him under, knocks him out, decks him, whatever it is, um, Chase is getting more and more frustrated because he's losing more and more time that he has left, knowing that the clock is literally ticking and he has four days left, right? Right, yep. Um. So we have that. And again, of course... We have the bit of how Dimitri comes to the realization that something happened to Guy, getting that detective-y stuff. Um, the bit where Chase asks him for some, or Ch- I'm saying Chase, it's Chance, uh, something to drink. And the bit that Dimitri says about the specialness to Russians of vodka. I uh, mm-hmm. thought that was a good bit. And then, of course, he also mentions about what it takes to be a member of the JLI. It's not the same as being a member of the JLA, you know? Yes, and that is probably the most accurate thing that's been... I got goosebumps when you said that. In, right. In Human Target, it's like, we're not the Teen Titans. We're not the uh, the Justice League or any other team out there. We're a little different. And I'm like, yes, you were. Yes, right. you were, Dimitri. And I think Dimitri being the character to get to deliver that line... I think helps him so much as a character. Whereas with all the other characters, it's kind of an unspoken thing Mm -hmm. that if there's no way I could explain it to you, if you're not part of us, right? Yes. But because Dimitri is such a straightforward, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I'm a hammer and you're a nail sort of guy. 
the fact that he gets to be the one to explain it and it makes perfect sense and it's something that's never been uttered ever before. It's just something that's been known by all the members of the JLI and all the readers of the JLI. And, you know, this is an eight, this is issue eight of a 12 issue maxi series, plus the one fill in thing that kind of bridged the gap in between the first half miniseries and second half of the miniseries. As Todd mentioned, you could jump in and read just this issue. Yep. And you get a full, complete story. Uh, which you can't really say a lot about a miniseries. You can't say about, like, part four of six of a regular ongoing thing, right? You gotta wait mm-hmm. for a new story arc to begin. But I, I feel as though the characterization of Dimitri was so strong that it could carry that single issue by itself. Yep. And two last things about this issue that I absolutely loved. One two... Two, it made me want to buy the Mattel, whatever it was, signature, or maybe I know a company. I did a picture in the, the toy chat that there's a Dimitri Rocket Red figure that they did through there, and it's this armor. Now I have to buy it. And yes, the fact that it's on the back, you know how like each month the the pinup calendar on the back of the book has like blood on it and it would have a little more blood because he was coughing it up. Now there's a tranquilizer dart stuck in the pinup calendar. One of that Dimitri shot into the building. So uh-huh. I'm like, I love this little nod of like the calendar advancing the days and the things that are going on in the story too. Like you look on the back and it's like, how is this going to be in the book? You know? Right. So. Uh, so the other book that we both read was Vanish Number Two from Image, uh, written by uh, Donnie Cates, and the website unfortunately doesn't have like usually Image's website on the right hand side has like the little thing of who the creative team is. Uh, I don't know why it's missing. Uh, written by Donnie Kate, Ar- Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. I know last time that we talked about this, the elevator pitch for this is. Harry Potter meets rising stars with some other stuff sprinkled in. Yep. Um, and that's more the same. Uh, you know, we do get an opening story where our lead Oliver is attempting to show to us how evil the version of Gryffindor that they were in is, uh, as their headmaster character, um, Oren. Yes, Oren. I think so. Um, took them to New York City on a certain day in September on 2001. Mm-hmm. And uh, while these children have this immeasurable power, he essentially prevented them from doing anything to stop what was going on, but created an illusion that they did stop what was going on. See, I took a c- completely different take. Okay. Do you want to hear my take or do you want to keep I want your up? take and then we'll go on to the next thing, right? Okay. Now, I'm not 100% sure whether he knew it was going to happen. Um, that I'll get to. They show up and the first plane is about to do the damage and they stop it. And they're like, oh, okay, we're all good. Um, we did, you know, what we did. And, you know, this is what kind of what the world is. It's, we're going on a, what, what do you call it, a... a when you, a, cl- a class trip or whatever and they leave but then the other plane hits and they're like basically it's a message you can't stop evil but i'm not 100 percent sure if the headmaster knew all this and he was trying to teach him the lesson and he knew everything was going to happen or he is the good guy he's like well we stopped the first plane and we went back home 
and I don't know. It's very vague, but they, as far as I'm concerned, they definitely did stop the first plane because the main character says, and then years later, like the, the, the second tower is still there, or the first tower wasn't hit, and we rebuilt the second one. So I'm like, okay, this all happened. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Right. It's just, you know, so like my whole thing is that he made them there watch the second plane hit. Right. Right. After they saved the first one. And again, it was to teach them a lesson that, you know, no matter what you do on one end, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen no matter what you do to prevent them. And also a lesson to teach them of like why we can't help the normal people as well, because, no matter how much good we try to do, there's always going to be bad that happens sort of thing. Right. Right. Um, so that being said, um, obviously, uh, our, our, our main character here, Oliver has his mission and this is where we get into the very Harry Potter sort of things of this. He goes to meet up with what would be his Ron Weasley, uh, who is Deacon Dust, who essentially is like a David Blaine-esque stage magician. Yes. Whereas, uh, you know, obviously he has these magical powers, but he still stages these elaborate illusions uh, that if they go wrong, he could certainly use his magic to stop them from causing him any harm. And the way they explain that is beautiful. Yes. Like, because they're like, they're going through the trick and he's like, ah, oh, the, the trick's not working. Well, if the trick doesn't work, you'd be, you know, really bad. He's like, ah, oh, well, I did something. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And I was like, beautiful storytelling. Right. And we get the bit where they have the conversation that uh, Oliver took Eleanor, this universe's Hermione, uh, her ring that would protect him without her knowing. And then he kind of chastises him for that. Oliver and Eleanor have their little dust up over that. And then the character that Oliver beat up from the last issue that was the superhero, the magician posing as the superhero, he tells the rest of the superheroes that Oliver is on to them. Right. Uh, so obviously a, a very strong first issue to establish everything. Second issue was good, but did not have that same emotional punch at the first one that kind of did all this world building stuff. And I feel as though that front part about the September 11th stuff was supposed to put those same stakes and everything else on this issue. And again, I didn't feel it worked the way that I think that Donnie Cates was hoping for. Um, I have to disagree, even though I'm, I'm not a big fan of anybody using uh, September 11th in their storytelling for effect. If you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't I, I don't it's not like, oh, I'm never going to read it. But it just seems sometimes it seems like a like a cheap trick, like a lot of movies or like if we make buildings collapse, it'll make people think of this. And like it, there's a visceral effect to what that is. And I'm like, it's it's almost like a cheap stunt, but I don't hate it. Um, but what I did love was the actual character building in this issue. We get to see Dustin. We get to see Eleanor. We get to see um, in a world in a story with magic. I did not see a lot of the glamour spells coming, which now I'll be on the lookout for. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. like, oh, what happened? Well, you look okay. Glamour, glamour, glamour. And I'm like, so like the bait and switch worked with that. Um, so I really liked the, uh, as much as I liked the first issue, I like this one the same, but for different reasons. Cause the first builds the world 
the second issue builds the characters, if that makes any sense. Sure. And again, like I said, I just think as though good issue, not as strong as the first one. I would say if not as strong as the first one, just a smidge less. That's all. Gotcha. Uh, Still going to stick with the book. Still enjoying it. Uh, Like I said, you know, just one. I I always say it feels it feels like the most of the the 90s image, but really, really well written. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, So that's what we read this week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out. Or uh, that's what we read last week. Let's look. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books uh, in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you're waiting for the trade, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead over me with five correct guesses. Yes. And uh, let's see how we can continue with this, huh? Yes, because there are a couple of books on here that I know you'd definitely be interested in. Yes. Um. So I have it narrowed down to, um. let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have it narrowed down to seven of your books. All right. Um, which is all you have. Um. I don't know. On this one, if I had like a three or a four-sided coin, I'd flip it. Um. Is the book you're looking forward to most Dark Knights of Steel number eight? No, it's not. Is it Gotham City Year One? It is Gotham City Year One, number two. Okay. Uh, not to take anything away from Dark Knights of Steel, number eight, I will say the DC book's coming on Tuesday, and apparently Dark Knights of Steel was trending on t- Twitter today. Okay. Um, so I had to mute that so I didn't get the book spoiled on me. I don't know what's going on, right? Me either. I haven't seen that, so good. Yeah, but Gotham City Year One, I thought, was such a strong... Uh, issue One of that was so strong, uh, I'm really looking forward to Issue Two. Fair enough. Uh, looking at your list, uh, I think the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman 129. It is Batman 129. There we go. With a 1A of Little Monsters 7 coming back. Yep, and so that's the thing. I, you know, obviously, that's coming back. Um, you know, from their little brief hiatus, that's on my list, of course. Uh, it's always a quick, easy, light read, and I'd say that in the easiest way, the, the most uh, positive the way possible. Right, nicest way possible. Uh, but things are moving and things are happening in Batman, and uh, I know you've really, like, I've been enjoying Batman, the Chip Zdarsky run, but I know you've really been enjoying the Chip Zdarsky run here on Batman. So. That's right. Any time you could work those Morrison stories in, I'm an all-in guy. Right. If he, Chip Zdarsky, is retconning all of these Morrison stories to make them readable and accessible to you. Right. He's got to be doing something right, you know? Chip Zdarsky should rewrite Twin Peaks, and then we're good to go. No, no, let's not go that far. Right. There's a video series that I watch. You brought up Twin Peaks, so I have no choice. He does, like, a lot of, like, old, like, cartoons and toy series stuff, like, histories of, like, 80s, 90s movies and tv and toy lines and stuff like that right and even if it's something that i'm like tangentially into i'm like all right i'm aware of what robotech is sure i'll watch this you know right uh his most recent one was about twin peaks and i'm just like no i think i'm okay all right you're the best joe I try. I try. I do these things for me as well. Uh, Again, I don't have the same disdain 
uh, for Twin Peaks and David Lynch. I think David Lynch as a person is a very funny character because right. uh, he's so weird. But uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to support like the things that he does or even reviews of the things that he does. He's too influential. That's what his problem is. So. You think so? Yes. He <clears throat> even if one percent of the the population like likes him and goes on to try to emulate him, that's that's one percent too much. All right. You'd be surprised it's out there. But like, luckily, I'm so clueless when it happens, I don't realize it. You know. Fair enough. All right. So. Uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have been up to, uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current position for Todd and Joe Have Issues, which is Todd and Joe Go Rogue, a.k.a. the Silver Standard, a.k.a. the Battle for Second Place. Uh, and hey, Todd, we all know that The Flash has the best rogues gallery in all of comics. But Todd thinks that Batman is the second best. I think Spider-Man is the second best. We put together a list of the bottom of the barrel of both uh, superheroes' rogues galleries. We put them together in a giant tournament bracket put together by listener of the show, Grinch McScrooge. And uh, we are one matchup away from putting it down to the Elite Eight. We have my matchup results, uh, which was... Uh, Spider Side versus Alosha Craven, aka Craven number two. And uh, in a shocker, I would say, uh, Alosha Craven moves on to the next round. Shocker isn't in this tournament, Joe. No, Shocker's like a top. Uh, Shocker's a top, I would say, uh, 15 villain for Spider Man. Oh, he's a superior foe. He, I would say, superior foe of Spider Man, yes. That's right. Him <laughs> and Silvermane. But, uh,. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, so Olosha Craven moves on. I'm shocked by that result, but again, we got to play them as they lay. Um, this week, uh, the matchup is two of Todd's bat villains. Uh, Signal Man, a.k.a. the Blue Bowman, right. taking on the Dodo Man. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, one person is someone who is transfixed with the dodo bird and decides to steal all things dodo bird related, a la eggs and you know feathers and whatever. And uh, he basically had one appearance and he basically didn't even dress like a dodo bird or anything. He dressed like other things in the museum so he could hide as them to steal. So I look forward to what pic different picture Joe is going to have because they only had two pictures of him in the whole book, I think. So good luck with that. And the other uh, villain is the Signal Man, the man who was downtrodden and beaten by Batman until he looked up into the sky and saw the bat signal. And then was, you know, he was basically influenced by the bat signal the way Batman was influenced by bat. And he decided to become a signal and use all things signal as his gimmicks. And I really don't understand it more than that. So it's the Signal Man versus the Dodo. No man, two morts for the ages, Joe. So, it, as Todd mentioned, of course, um, you know I have no horse in this race. Uh, I think both of these guys are weak contenders; should not have made it as far as they did, but here they are. Um, I'm going to put my backing behind Signal Man, only because there are probably more pictures of him out there than the Dodo Man. <laughs> right. You don't want to keep rehashing the same picture. I, I have, have no choice. 
Right. I honestly don't know who I should vote for. So once again, I'm going to let the listeners, you know, listen to their hearts. I have no idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Certainly. Uh, so you said no art attacks this week, right? I didn't see any. Uh, of course, pigskin pick em updates. Uh, we're halfway through the season. Uh, I'm still holding strong at 31st place. Todd has slipped a bit down to 14th place for shame, I say. That's right. I have. I don't understand football anymore, Joe. I was once an expert. Now I'm a fool. That's that's good that we have that recorded now. You know, right? Um, T Public. I don't think there's a sale this week, but we're approaching. Uh, you know, the holiday shopping season. So I could see. You know, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was like starting like Black Friday, which is like every weekend from Black Friday to Christmas. It was thirty five percent off, so they might go easy up front here in November. Uh, but when I get notified, you'll get notified. You know. Right. Right. Uh, but you can always buy a shirt or a pin or a sticker from our store. Those are sitting here in the office. I could send those right out to you. Um, printed up from quality folks. Uh, nice looking shirts. Um, nice looking pins. Nice looking stickers. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and myself. One covering the films of independent filmmaker Mark Pirro. The other previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Uh, those previews also have full-quality, uh, high-res, professionally-done scans that go up on the Patreon for all members, so you could follow along, or even if you just want to look, take a walk down memory lane to see what the comic book industry looked like 30 years ago. Um, all of that at the dollar level. The $5 level is going to get you those two podcasts two weeks before everyone else, and it's also going to get you after dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Uh, you could also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link. It's the banner at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. It's also in the show notes for wherever it is that you get these episodes. Um... They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include... uh, Somebody purchased Star Ocean, the Divine Force, for the PlayStation 5. Uh, Star Ocean sounds familiar. I think it might be a role-playing game, but that might have been... When I wasn't playing that many role-playing games, but it sounds somewhat familiar. I don't know. I've never played a uh, you know a PlayStation or Xbox role-playing game. So mm-hmm. uh, somebody also purchased Mentholotum original chest rub ointment, okay. and I'm not reading the entire description, but somebody did purchase gorgeous salt and pepper grinder set. Ooh, but that looks really good. I bet you it looks gorgeous. Oh, that's a good that's a good adjective, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some comics too, Joe. Yes, we did have Amazing Spider-Man number twelve, and then a, in a series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the Armageddon game series, there was the pregame opening moves number one and two, the Armageddon game one and two, and those are all like you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thank you very much. You're a big fan of the game, apparently. 
Yes, I, and again, I don't know if that ties into the game. I don't know if that's a big arc or a big something that's going on, you know? Right, I have no idea. And I'm a, I'm the TMNT guy, I think, out of the two of us, and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you, like I said, to anyone uh, who made any of these purchases this week, this month, this year, this one, ever. I mentioned before the shopping season is near nearing upon us. Make sure to get all your holiday shopping done through our affiliate link, and we thank you in advance. Uh, so, uh, that being said, uh, I think that's everything for the main show. We can get into some TV talk, yes? Yes. And uh, I will ask you, where would you like to begin? Um, which one was first? Stargirl, I guess? Uh, Andor was first. That technically comes out on a Wednesday. Stargirl comes on a Thursday. But if you want to take care of Stargirl first, we could certainly do that. Okay, we'll do it that way. All right. So Stargirl uh, basically is part two of Infinity Inc., the, the storyline. Um, and Pat and uh, the Shade are stuck in the Shadowlands while, and they're, you know, in, reliving their pasts and, and they're having their insecurities basically attack them. And we end up seeing that, uh, you know, Pat's uh, father is his insecurity and his, his father is uh, basically Rizzo from MASH. So um, he's a, uh, uh, an army guy who's like a mechanic who taught him all the things, but he can kind of like belittle them. And it's interesting to see Pat like basically try to like, he's, he understands that they're going to, the shade tells him like, don't let them get into your head. And he ends up kind of like accepting. He's like, you know, this is what my father would say. And I loved him anyway. And like, he's kind of taking it in stride. And then the shade ends up seeing both the gambler because he never uh, forgave him. It was good to see the, the actor playing the gambler again. Yes. Um, and also his sister who basically asked him to not to come to her, her at her, on her deathbed and, uh, you know, stay with her while happened. And he kind of, like, explains what's happened. Like, he never did it. So that's kind of the cross he has to bear. And, like, we're showing the signs that Shade isn't, the, you know, the, the emotionless thing that we all perceive. Um, so him and Pat kind of working together to get away from it because his Shadowlands have merged with uh, Jade's Green Lantern ring. Um, and that's the other part of the plot is they're at helix and mr bones is there and they're explaining that uh uh, todd isn't uh jade's brother isn't there as a captive they're there to stop him from his shades getting out and destroying the world and they have this whole thing of light trying to 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 stop it and in the end they believe uh stargo believes it's like well it's the love they have for each other um that's what's gonna gonna fix this and they're like well if we do this, it can go completely sideways, and uh, it, it they kind of give in, and Mr. Bones lets them do it, and it, it is. It's the, the hope and the love ends up stopping the shadow attack and destroying the world, and we find out that they weren't there, uh, captured or whatever. All the people who were there um, for Helix are under their own free will because their powers are dangerous and Helix is trying to help them. And we end up seeing a bunch of other characters that were in the comics as like a group members of Mr. Bones's Helix. And then like, as they're leaving uh, court, he's like, well, you shouldn't have been watching us. Like you shouldn't have been videotaping us or like watching us with cameras. And they're like, that was none of us. We don't know 
what you're talking about. So they thought it was Mr. Bones and Helix, but it wasn't. We still don't know who it is. Um, and we find out that uh, Jade knew where Todd was because she had run into Sandman's descendant, uh, Sandy, Sandy Hawkins. And she said that she was having these nightmares, but go help your brother and then come back. And Pat ends up talking uh, talking Shade into helping Todd because he has the same powers. He's like, listen, you want to be good? Good isn't about, like, you're just not doing bad. It's about doing good. Be his mentor. Help him with his powers. And he goes off and takes them to uh, to wherever Sandy is to try and help her and help Jason. And in the end, the person, we still don't know who's watching the cameras, but he now knows that they're all destroyed because they see jacked up our man who's all juiced up do that thing where he sm- he he says that he they're all coming from. So uh, it's a pretty quick con- concise episode. Like we said the two episodes together probably should be watched back to back and it's a little better, but an all right episode, not great, not terrible. Yeah, so you know last week's episode you said it's like oh, I felt a little lean, you know. And then right. when this one showed up on the uh, <clears throat> DVR and yes. I saw the I saw the runtime was like 36 minutes I'm like even without the credits, they're 42, you know? It's like, right. not that huge of a difference, but okay, all right, it's a little lean, right? right. Um, you know, obviously, Todd, you mentioned all the different um, Infinity Inc. folks that show up, and again, these are, you know, listen, I, I, I'd like to know, I, I'd like to think that I myself know my DC uh, characters, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're throwing Tau Jones and Critter and Penny Dreadful and Char Car. And all these other folks, I'm like, oh boy, this is before my time, you know? This is around my time. And you know who gets cut a check for a lot of these, Joe? Uh, Roy Thomas, maybe? Yeah, pro- definitely Roy Thomas. But on the art side? Uh, George Todd- Perez. No. No. Well, Todd McFarlane. Oh, really? Todd McFarlane. People forget. Oh, that's right. 85, 86, like pre-crisis. He was uh, Infinity Inc., right? Right, I think it might have been shortly after uh, Christ on Infinite Earth uh, that was his run because he went. People forget, like one of his first runs was Infinity Inc. Then he did like one and a half issues of that Invasion storyline. Yes, yes. And like in the middle of that Invasion storyline, he got poached by Marvel, and as they say, the rest is history. Hmm. So. Interesting. And then again, of course, you mentioned about Todd and Jenny uh, talking about uh, Wesley Dodd's grandson, son. I think daughter. I'm not 100% sure. Now, so, right. So they say daughter, but in my mind, that was the name of Sand in the Jeff Johns JSA run. Right. So that tripped me up a little bit because I love that characterization of Sand in that run. So when they said Sandy was a she, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's going to be interesting if that character pops up, you know? Right. Um, but again, this was, you know, this should have been like a, uh, a a TV event, you know, the two episodes together as one, since there was such leanness in both. Um, my favorite part of the episode is when uh, Mr. Bones and Courtney have their heart-to-heart in his office. Mm-hmm. And he delivers that long soliloquy, um, but we don't see his face because we ran out of the special effects budget to really have him 
talk that much on camera, you know? Well, they put all the money into him killing the fern, Joe. That's true. <laughs> it was just like, I'm like, oh, he's still talking and they haven't shown his face yet, huh? Yep. Okay. <laughs> but I will say this. They're leaving money on the table if they don't uh, manufacture a Mr. Bones trench coat with the pin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want one of those so bad. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the episode, you know, we mentioned that uh, some of these characters that popped up were part of his Helix group in the comics. Um, and then he says, like, hmm, maybe we should get our own team together. Hmm. You know? And now I'm definitely thinking that the person who's watching Stargirl and all them uh-huh. is a Helix escapee. Oh, you think so? Yeah, that's why he was building the uh, they, he, she, I don't know who, uh, were building the puzzle with the skull's face on it. Yes. And that's why they wipe it off the table because I don't know if I mentioned this before, but now definitely when he says we're not, you know, holding them, their free will, somebody felt that he, that Mr. Bones done him wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was an interesting thing that they brought up. Um, like I said, definitely from prior to my, uh, really DC knowledge, the fact that, uh, Helix is like a voluntary thing, you know, they can go whenever they want. They strongly encourage you to stay, um, if you're a menace to yourself and others, but if you want to go, there's the door, you know? Right. And back in the comic, it was somebody and that nurse whose nurse love that you say is per Degaton's uh, sidekick. She's wearing the per Degaton coat. I know, definitely. But in the comic, she played, she was a, a, a guy doctor who was the one who basically did all the bad things to create the Helix people. So I'm wondering if we're going to come back around to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like they're going villains with Helix. They're going, they're going baby faces, baby see-through faces. Joe. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's not white meat. It's see-through baby faces. All right. Well, the other show that we watched this past week was uh Andor. both these, epi- both these shows were on episode eight of their respective runs. Um, you know, we'll get some of the B story stuff out of the way here with Andor. Um, my dream came true, but it did not pan out the way that I hoped it would be as Cyril <laughs> and Deidre. I'm like, last week, I'm like, we got to get these two kids in the same room together, you know? It took all my energy <laughs> not to tweet, Joe's dream came true on Andor. <laughs> well, so that's the thing. You would have been right, because my dream came true, and then I realized I had another dream. And we'll get to that other dream, and I might have teased that one out on social media a little bit. Um, but we get Cyril and Deidre together, and I think they're going to be on the same page. But of course, because they have the same, they have the same mission um, to take down the rebels. But I think Cyril is thinking too small, and Deidre is thinking too big, and that's why they're not on the same page. They need to kind of figure out that middle ground to work together. There's the talk of like, well, she's like, well, you signed off on this report that said whatever happened. He goes, I signed on the report. I never read it. I was forced under duress to do so. And she makes the uh, she makes the as she acquiesces and lets him read the report. And he points out all the inaccuracies and everything else like that. 
but they're still not on the same page. They're still not together. There's still more episodes of the show. We could still get them together. This first meeting, you know, sometimes that happens in like the romantic, like I don't think they're going to be romantically involved, but in my heart, they're romantically involved where, uh, you know, this is their first meeting. It's like, oh, they slap and they don't get along. And then once they figure out that they're both working for the same cause and they both want the same thing, not each other, um, then they're going to work together and I'm going to be very happy. Well, it was a little disappointing. Um, again, it's it's all part of the greater storyline that we're seeing here, right? Right. I will say this, though. I think the reason they're not together is because she's competent and Cyril's a tool. Uh, Cyril's a tool because literally he makes up like 17 false reports to get noticed by the Empire, which is always a bad idea always a bad idea and she shows up and she's like you're making all these claims and he's like he does like walk her down the right path but in her mind she's like this guy's a lunatic like he may be drinking the kool-aid but he's he's willing to go too far and i think that's where she's she's think but i she does bring him into the fold as far as i'm concerned so We'll see what happens. I think she's just got an eye on him. I don't think they're fully, you know, involved, right? Uh, Involved, but I think she's going to, I think she's secretly got him on the team. But anyway, go ahead. All right. So based on the information, based on the information that Deidre gets, um, you know, obviously they know something is up with people that this Andor person, whatever his name is, was working with, and the old man that he was with. And I love Cyril's definite, like, his description of him. It's like, ah, uh, he was tall, he was wearing boots, and he had a cloak. It's like, good job, pal. <laughs> Way to nail. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. Cyril's a tool. And I don't care how good Uncle Harlow is. He's not going to do well, Joe. <laughs> I, I want more Uncle Harlow. I'm just I saying. I do want the Uncle Harlow side stories. Right. Um, but then that gets them. It's like, okay, go back and watch. Um, like, don't agitate, but watch. Figure out what's going on. And then um, the new person who works with Bix, right? So she's still trying to send messages through to What's-His-Face, who to runs Luthen the... Luthen Raw. Luthen. To Luthen. And Luthen, with the help of his uh, assistant at the antique place, is like, we need to cut those people off. You know, there are, like, you said it yourself, people are going to die. There's sacrifices that need to be made. We cannot have these people where this incident happened, where we went and got this Andor guy from. If we keep reaching out to them or letting them reach out to us, they're going to find us out. So he cuts her off, but that's enough of a signal that gets the Empire there. They get their hands on the new guy that runs the junk shop that Bix works for. They rough him up a little bit to get information. They flesh her, they shake her out of a crowd, and they're going to rough her up for information to find out where Andor is. And I'm going to, you know how you had, you know, a hot take and, you know, a a stance that people might not agree with. Um, I don't care how bad the Empire is. Bix is the villain in Andor right now. Really? Everything she's done has made things worse, Joe. She ends up 
uh, ends up, you know, going to Andor's house, who's like kind of a past lover, and Tim ends up seeing it. So he gets mad, and he ends up calling the Empire, which sets all these things off. And then she can't let it go. She has to go. Like, they're like, we need to lay low. Um, but I'm going to go up into the tower and I'm going to start making these phone calls off to the rebellion that, you know, nobody's going to notice. Then she noticed she gets her boss beat up and tortured. And now they're going to use her to try and find Andor. She's just making all the wrong moves. Like she may not be the villain of the story, but she's Andor's biggest enemy right now. She's bigger than Cyril and, and, and the Empire Lady. I forget her name. But because everything she's doing is bringing the guns in Andor's face. I know it's a. You think she's going to immediately give uh, Andor up? Yeah. I don't think she's immediately going to do it, but I think she's Andor's somewhat downfall. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. We'll see, but I just don't like all the moves she's been making. Gotcha. I'm with you. I, I definitely see her more as an unwitting weak link. How about that? You know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't think she has bad intentions. I just think she's in over her head, you know? Right. But if uh you're if you don't if you don't have bad intentions but you're still gonna get me killed, mm-hmm. uh I, I, I don't like you. That's my motto. <laughs> right. Now obviously the Empire is looking for um Luthen. And they're also looking for Andor, but little do they know, they already do have Andor in a man uh, named Keith, uh, who is currently on uh, Narkina 5, which is not so much as a prison thing, but it's a prison work uh, ship, right? Run by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna go a little bit deeper with my uh, what's that? What's that guy's name? Um, Kino Loy, right? Uh, Kino Loy looks very much like a uh, independent wrestler who's been kicking around for like the past like thirty years and is still on the the scene today. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's like a dead ringer for Kino Loy. Take that for what you will. So every time that he showed up, I'm like, wait a minute, right? Uh, but you said Quentin Tarantino. It's played by the great Andy Serkis. Uh, oh, no, looks like, I just mean that there's a lot uh, of people with no shoes on. Oh, okay. I thought, I'm like, I don't know where the Quentin Tarantino thing is. But again, they're wearing no shoes because the floors and everything are made of tungstoid steel, Todd. Right. And just, just lower of adamantium. So because Right. And it's a way to keep all these prisoners in place. And while these prisoners are working a gamified thing uh, to build random components, right? Right. And the better you do at your table, uh, the better uh, they're going to do. Because uh, however many tables are running at any one time, whatever, the, like the top tables get, they get. If you get the top table for the day, Todd, you yep. know what you get? Flavor. You get flavor in your food, right? <laughs> Yep. Um, I did like that they did point out to uh, Keith slash Andor in his quarters that he has something that he can shave with. Not that there's a single person on this prison thing that shaves. Right. Uh, they're all grizzled and grizz- gruff and like scraggly looking, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're the bottom table, then you're going to get the tungstoid steel shock treatment, you know. Right, and I do love that they they show you the shock treatment once. Yep. 
and then you never have to show it again, but you, you just have uh, Andor looking like he got it, and he does a great job of looking like he got the tungstoid steel, you know, what for. And when he gets it, they say that's a one on a scale of one to three, right? Right. So, like, if that's what a one is, imagine what a three is. Oh, my goodness, you know? Right, but what I mean is, like, when they lose the quota for the day, yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, we're going to get the shocking. And then later, like, when they're walking to their cells, like, Andor has that... I've been shocked into oblivion look and he's mm-hmm. kind of like got the shake and I'm like, like this is so much better than seeing it every time, you know, yes. you're seeing the aftermath. Um, and, and they have all these tables making these random whatevers, right? But they have to I make the most. Right. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was say, I hope we never find out what they are, by the way. Nope. I hope we never do either. I don't want to know what those things that they make and are, and then don't tell me what they are either. Right. Um, and there's all these different tables. And what table is Andor at, Todd? Uh, I forget the number. You have it in the notes, though. Yeah, he's at table five. You know, just like uh, I was going to put in here when Homer sings out table five at the uh, the swap meet, the yard sale, right? Right. Um, and then, like, oh, you know, what's his face? Uh, Kino Loy is introducing him to all the other people because, like, obviously someone dies because they got shocked too much for doing so poorly. Uh, we got to replace him on the thing, on the table, you know, putting together the random whatever. And Kino Loyal, remember his name? He's like the floor supervisor. He tells us he only has 249 days until he's released. Uh, even though we're told, like, yeah, they're going to keep you as long as they want. You know, if they need you to be here forever, you're going to be here forever. If they want you to go, you're going to go. Um, and as Kino Loy is introducing Andor to the rest of the people at his table... I'm like, oh, I'm not going to remember all these people's names. But you know what they did, Todd? They saved the best name for last. <laughs> because one of the people that's at the table with Andor, his name in the vast universe of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca, Bib Fortuna, all these great characters. I'll even go, you know what? Listen, I'll even go, you say, like, Anakin and you know uh, Queen Amidala and Qui-Gon Jinn all these great names that have like this unique and far away distant galaxy sounding sound to them right? Right. (laughs) The guy at the end of the table where Andor is putting together random empire parts his name? It's Ham. What? (laughs) I had to pause the thing and I was laughing for like 20 minutes. Right. There's a man in Star Wars whose name is Ham. But, but Joe... <laughs> He's because he enjoys ham radio? What is going on? Well, that's Bix. Bix enjoys the ham radio. But, uh, <laughs> she got them all in trouble using the ham radio. He's just ham. He's ham. <laughs> and it's not even like ham, you know, like Star Killer or something. It's just <laughs> right. ham. Ham blaster, you know, fast blaster or whatever. <laughs> I wish I was ham fast blaster. Right. Something. He's just ham. Ham one M. You know. Something. Don't want to be too ostentatious, you know. Oh my god. The man in Star Wars, his name is Ham. Right. We run out of names. <laughs> well, we had Tim already. So. Yeah. But it was with two M's. Right, so unique, right? Right, and so he stole Ham's second M. No, he didn't. It's just Ham. A J M is the man's name. He was supposed to have a second M, but Tim stole it. So, no. um, all right, I've calmed myself down. But 
Um, so we get a thing. It's like thirty days later, uh, or, or what do they say? Thirty shifts later, because it's twelve hour shifts, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, but uh, uh, Andor is quickly assimilating to this life of building random empire parts. Um, and again, eventually so they're going to find out that that's Andor and that they already got him, right? And these guys that he's working with uh, outside of Ham look feeble and old and like doddering. There's like the one part where the guy's having trouble and they have to help him. And like they're going to come to a part where that guy screws up and like Andor is going to be like, do I like sacrifice myself or I did, do I let this old doddering man die? Um, you know, so I, I like this stuff. I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued in this stuff, and this is like the first like Andor stuff that I've enjoyed out over more than uh, the Empire being sneaks stuff. Right. I will say this: a couple of things. I do love Andor, like when he shows up at the prison, taking in every detail. Like some people, I like a lot of people might think he's just like, oh my god, I'm overwhelmed. I feel like through the door, Andor is like. He's watching, like, the guard be late because they need to do something. And he's, like, looking where all the openings are and everything. He's getting the lay of the land and, like, watching people use sign language to talk on the different levels. He's learning everything he needs to know to break out of this prison. I don't think they're going to find out they have him. I think he's going to get out before that happens. Um, And there's somebody in these episodes that is probably going to be his friend for a while because uh, one of these characters was in Rogue One, the movie. So okay. they, he makes a deep friend, friendship with him, whether or not like they escape together or whatever. But I do know one of them you know, is from uh, that. So I, I really like that. And then I do like the prison, like you said, with the flavor and the water. And they, you have your own little dish that you can put back. Um, and then basically like when people get despaired, they just jump on the floor in the middle of the night and electrocute themselves. And the prisoners are all mad because they have to smell his burning body all night. And I'm like, this is just dark. And like you said, the counter on the thing where I only have so many shifts left or days on my thing. And you don't think, uh, what's his face? Who's the, the, the guy who, who does all the, uh, the leader of the floor. You don't think he's only got 200 and some days or shifts left. Because he's doing, he's always in the top three. They're not going to trump up some charge, so he stays. I I love it. Just the empire just keeps getting more and more evil, as far as I'm concerned. Love it. Yeah, I I'm and oh, and the other thing is like they start questioning um, Andor because like he's like new to the floor and like these guys have been in here for how long? They start quizzing him. They're like, oh. Have you heard about the changes in sentences? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about, and I have to go back through my notes, um, the public order restraining directive thing? And he's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Right. And they're like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. So is this a thing of the other inmates thinking maybe, like, obviously they're wrong. Is this them because, like, oh, Andor just came from the outside, um, he doesn't know about this thing. Do you think this is something that they're telling us because we're on the inside and it's a lie to keep us in check? But like, we're already on the inside. Like, why do they need to keep us in check sort of thing? You know, um, I like it cause some of it's true and he does know, mm-hmm. but he can't say anything. Cause they're like, right. Oh, we heard, we heard something happened on this planet 
like the planet that he just robbed. Yeah. That like this all happened and now they're lengthening the sentence. He's like, I haven't heard anything. He he's heard about the lengthening sentences because he was only supposed to get two weeks and he got six years. Yeah. I mean? So I do like the bit of it. He's like, I don't know nothing. Because yeah. the less I say, the less I can get tripped up on. He he got he got sentenced to six years for walking while sweating. Yes, yes. Oh, you, you got a little bit of perspiration there. Six years, son. Yeah. So, um, do you know how long we'd be in jail, Joe? Oh, my God. That's <laughs> what we'd like first. Yeah. Um, but, no, this was, this, this was probably, like, the strongest episode that I liked, like, top to bottom, you know, having some fun with Ham, you know, but you can't help not to have fun with Ham. Who doesn't uh, But I really like this episode a lot, you know? Right. I agree. Who doesn't love Ham? But I love the episode all around. Like I said, I've been on board. Like, I've been loving it a lot longer. I think uh, a lot of people are starting to come around, so... Right, and it's it's not that I haven't loved it. I've really enjoyed it. You know, I'm all for something that's a little bit a little bit different. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the character from Rogue One. Just as I'm looking through my notes, of course, there's the bit um, where uh, Luthen is trying to go and like pawn off some stuff to someone. And no spoil. Well, we're in spoilers, right? Right. Did, I don't know. Did you say Saul Guerrera is in this? No, we didn't. We we jumped up, and I do love a, a, the one thing I love about the show is like a lot of people feeling each other out. Where Saw and Luthen are trying to like pin the payroll crime on each other, but as they do it, they're just blowing smoke up each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Uh, and you know what? And I'll say this: um, it, it was the least amount of it in this episode, so that's why I like this episode the most. Um, the stuff with Mon Mothma. Don't care. I don't care about the bougie and the bureaucratic people. I get that you're trying to help the rebellion, but I don't know. I know you're going to be a much bigger piece uh, when Return of the Jedi comes around, but I don't care about your backstory. Um, I don't. I don't hate it. Um, I like I said, I do like the bits where she's finagling with the banker. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think. That because I'm hoping there's more to her husband than being that cliche dirtbag rich guy. Sure. And the kid being the pompous little brat. Um, because I don't remember if Mon Mothma's daughter ends up joining them in the rebellion, so maybe that happens. But it's just like uh, whether or not she was in Rogue One. I mean, uh, just I I don't care about the family, but I care about her trying to work her machinations while not being, you know, picked up, if that makes any sense. I just don't care about the family. Yeah, yeah, I don't care about the husband. I don't care about their arranged marriage when they were 16. I don't care about none of it. Right. Gotta at least be 18 before an arranged marriage. Right. Um, But yeah, like I said, you know, I I nitpicked that. I had to throw that little bit of negativity in there. I couldn't, you know, but it was such a small part of this week's episode, it didn't matter. Right, I agree. Yeah. All right, so I think that's everything, huh? I believe so. We covered a lot of ground. It was a yep. short show. Yep. And we only have, again, we only have two TV shows next week. There's no new TV starting anytime soon. Uh, I know we have Black Panther next weekend. Black Panther 2. Yeah, I got to start figuring out what I'm doing for that. So. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, but, again, I'm sure that's going to get worked into the schedule a little bit easier than Black Adam was. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, will... I don't see me getting to see Black Adam anytime soon, so. No. Uh, I'll wait for it to be on HBO Max. Me too. Yeah. All right. 
So, hey, everyone, uh, thank you very much for listening to episode 630 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we will catch you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.